This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to mourn and cry and whine and wail at the passing of an American institution. Ladies and gentlemen, I come before you each and every week telling you America's got a lot of hope. America's future is bright if you follow a set of principles. But even the news this week, I think America's over. I think America is dead. I think it's just gone. And of course, the news I'm talking about is the decision to end the Kardashians. Keeping up with the Kardashians is, is no more. I hope you will join me in a moment of silence and Maybe we should, you know, take an E during the National Anthem for the passing of this great hallmark, this great American institution. I couldn't, I can't even get through that. So keeping up with the Kardashians is gone. That's your entertainment news, folks. And in other news, if you miss it, I don't know why you're listening to me, but hey, you know, everyone's welcome on this show. I hope today you're having a great week and thank you so much for tuning in, of course, This is the show where you come for the accent, you come for the entertainment news of the week. The Kardashians (laughs) are no longer. You come for the accent, you come for the principles, you come for the Frenchy French accent. (laughs) And you stay for the love of America, or I don't know why you stay. Maybe it's the clobber today, I don't know. But today's show is going to be a bit different, because I want to talk to you about different issues that are going on in your country right now, and that are so frustrating because we look at everything through a lens of, can it get Trump re-elected? Can it get Biden elected? Is it good? Is it bad? And we tend to look at history in very small chunks. And one of the things I want to do today is I want to make the case of what the problems are in the world. If you were to look through the history of the world, whether it's America, whether it's Ireland, whether it's England, whether it's Europe, whether it's Asia, generally the vast majority of problems that you have They all have one common theme. One common theme. There's always one actor that's always involved. Say it with me, ladies and gentlemen. It's government. That is one of the reasons why I love America. One of the many reasons. Because you tried at your founding to redefine the relationship with man and government. That government is extremely limited. But when you have an overarching government, what happens is... Government decides winners and losers. Government decides who we want to vest up or who we want to appeal to this election cycle. One of the things you've seen, a modern day example of this, it's absolutely amazing to me. If you remember a couple of years ago when Brett Kavanaugh was going to, you know, become a Supreme Court justice, you had the whole Me Too movement. Hashtag Me Too. Hashtag Me Too, baby. Me Too. Me Too, all about women, right? Because apparently guys like me who are white, who are Christian, who have a penis, are straight. We're the problem. You know, it's all us white guys are the problem. Me too. Yet this week, you're potentially your first female vice president went to a certain individual who was arrested and shot Mr. Blake and said she was proud of him. Now, if you read this guy's rap sheet, 
how should we put this lightly in very politically correct terms? He is not a friend of Me Too. In, very, in fact, if this guy was famous, you would have a Me Too case against him. But oh, she's proud of him. Oh, why is that? Because right now, at this period of time, the feminism has to take a back step. The, the, the women, we're for women and women empowerment has to take a back step because that's not popular right now. We gotta focus on what's popular. And what's popular now is racial division. Racial justice. Well, let's talk about racial justice, shall we? Because one of the things that annoys me, one of the many things, and I'm in a bit of a mood this week, so I apologize. But one of the things that annoys me about people on so many sides is no one seems to want to do history anymore. And I want to talk to you about it. Because I want to talk to you about history that didn't involve Donald Trump, didn't involve Barack Obama, but did involve one of your presidential candidates. But we'll get to that in one second. And I want to make the case of, you know, the people who are going around the streets now are going, oh, the cops are the problem. Oh, you know what? It's all this racial institution is the problem. Let's burn the system to the ground. Let's talk about that, shall we? And I want to read and make the case for you of why this is the problem. You see, the only problem with my argument today is I'm going to make the argument and then I'm going to point out the pitfall. The pitfall is I can only find far-right sources to back up what I'm about to talk to you about. The first one, the far right source comes from. This is basically all right. Like this, like this, this, this site is basically endorsing Donald Trump. Frontline News, PBS, 1986. In 1986, the Democrats in Congress saw a political opportunity to outflank Republicans by getting tough on drugs after baseball, basketball star Len Bias died of a cocaine overdose. In the 1984 election, the Republicans have successfully accused Democrats of being soft on crime. The most important Democrat political leader, the House leader Tip O'Neill, was from Boston, Massachusetts. And the Boston Celtics had signed bias. During the 4th of July congressional recess, O'Neill's constituents were so consumed with anger and dismay about bias's death that O'Neill realized how powerful an anti-drug campaign would be. O'Neill knew that for Democrats to take credit for that anti-drug campaign in the November elections and get re-elected, the bill had to get out of both House and Senate before the November elections, ideally early October. Since the idea was only born in early July, the law-writing committees had less than a month to develop the ideas, to write the bills to carry out those ideas, and to get comments from the relevant government agencies and the public at large. Wow, this this is a well-thought-out plan, huh? This is totally for the best interests of people. It had tremendous political potential. As an appeal on tough on drugs, this was the creation of mandatory minimum sentences. In 1986, no hearings were held on this idea. No experts on the relevant issues. No judges. No one from the Bureau of Prisons or no one from any other office in the government provided advice on the idea before it was rushed to the committee and into law. Only a few comments were received on an informal basis. And that led to 1986, the Anti-Drug Abuse Act. 
It passes both House and Senate a few weeks before the November elections. What does this bill include? It basically makes a minimum sentencing of between 5 and 10 years for certain drug offences. And it is all based on the amount of drugs that are involved. In a report in 1995, after this is passed in 1986, the US Sentencing Commission found that only 11%, 11% of federal drug trafficking defendants were major traffickers. Many, and most, more than half, were low-level offenders. Basically what this did was, it punished certain people. If you had a certain drug. But it didn't stop there. Because in 1988, they made things even worse. You see, there was a conspiracy. There was a loophole. You know one of those loopholes that we're always hearing about? Oh, we've got to close the rich hole. Loophole for the rich. They're not paying their fair share. Well, there was a loophole in the 1986 bill. Hardly surprising, considering they got no advice or no consultation or no comments from the public. Imagine that. There's a loophole. But this loophole is sceptical at best. Because what they decided to do was there was a conspiracy. The conspiracy was that they weren't tough enough on crime. It was all about getting tough, get tough on crime. And basically, in this new law in 1988, basically what they said was if a defendant happens to be even a doorman at a crack house, they are liable for every ounce of crack sold at that crack house. From 1986 to 1998, 1998, 12 years, the prison population explodes by 450%. Now bear in mind, I know this is a far right, you know, alt-right Nazi website in the PBS. But I'm going to make it up to you because I've got another source. Sadly, this source is even more alt-right. This source is even, my God, like if, if you think, you know, PBS is in the tank for Trump, this site, this site is pretty much like out there on the streets campaigning for Donald Trump. Like they're funding his movements. This is so how far right this website is. This website is the New York Times. An article from 1995. And I want to just read a part of it because you get the gist of what I said in the general article. But Laura Murphy, who was the director of the Washington, D.C. chapter of the ACLU, gave an interview. And she said it's both unfair, impractical, and unwarranted when discussing the minimum sentencing of crack cocaine. She said that race issues in the criminal justice system are the new frontier of civil rights. How can you go to an inner city family and tell them that their son is given 20 years while someone in the suburbs who's using a powdered cocaine in greater quantities can get off in 90 days. Now, I'm no fan of the ACLU, but that's quite an interesting question, isn't it? You can thank the opportunist Democrats, Tip O'Neill and all his buddies, and the name that will be renamed in a few minutes. You want to hear this name, by the way. What this did was they introduced a standard of a hundred to one. They said that it takes a hundred more times powdered cocaine to draw the same minimum sentencing of five years than it awaits a person convicted of possessing five grams of crack. 
just think of that. 500 grams of cocaine versus 5 grams of crack. Which gets the worst sentence? The Congressional Black Caucus of the day, under Bill Clinton, sent a letter to him urging him to veto this bill. Didn't happen. Challenges to these penalties have been not upheld in federal courts. They've never been struck down. 1986, they decided to make that distinction. Crack, for your own record, is the only drug that carries a mandatory prison serum sentence. Although the statistics find that half of the crack users are white, the sale and use of these substances are cheaper form of cocaine is often concentrated in poor urban minority communities. Last year, 90% of those convicted of federal crack offences were black, and 3.5% were white. By contrast, 25% of those convicted on federal powdered cocaine were white, 29% were black, and 42% were Hispanic. When we saw these statistics, Judge Richard Connaboy, who was the Sentencing Commission uh, chairman, our theory was a law, no matter how well-intentioned it was, if it's causing such different results, then the law has to be changed and a new method installed. Interesting. So what have we got there, ladies and gentlemen? That's me reading from far-right sources, PBS and the New York Times. What you have right now is a situation where there is unrest in the black community. Now what we can do is we can all get into our little tribes, we can all go to our sides, and we can kind of go, just bash everyone over the head about it. By the way, the young upstart, who I failed to mention in all of these stories because I kept it hidden, not because I care about your politics, you vote for whoever you want. The young upstart, the 44-year-old rising senator who saw this as his golden opportunity? Joseph Biden. What you have before you start making this about Joe Biden bad or Joe Biden good or Donald Trump good or Donald Trump bad is things are often more complex than we like to admit. We like putting things in little boxes. No, you're this, you have this narrative. Oh, the police suck. Oh, you have this narrative. Republicans are good, or Republicans are bad, or Donald Trump Hitler. And we like putting all these into these little boxes and wrapping them up with nice little bows. But sometimes, life is more nuanced, which I've been trying to explain to you over the last couple of weeks. What you have is a system of government, which has been passed largely by Democrats, surprise, surprise, who are who have made this system so unbearable. And the results there, the statistics of how much the prison population has gone up on, are clear to see. Now, this is not me bashing the left or me bashing Joe Biden. This is me wanting to talk to you about bigger, substantive issues. You do have a problem. The world has a problem with drugs. I don't have the solution. I don't have the answers. I don't have, hey, this is where you solve drugs. If I did, I'd be a very rich man and I'd probably be a lot more famous than I am. I don't have the answer. I don't know how you can get people off of drugs. But I also understand that there's a problem in communities who are so reliant on them. And the sad thing is, as economies go down, and as recessions come, which is interesting, more people get hooked on drugs. There are many reasons for this, and I'm not a psychologist to tell you, but some of them, as I've been doing research, are linked to low self-esteem, low morals, low, you know, feeling of self-worth. You know, if you don't have a job, how do you put money on the table? 
So, you know, you get bored. There's less things to do. You get depressed. You get drugs. You're looking for that out, that release, you know, that, hey, man, just let's get high and make the, let's make the problems of the world go away. I say this because what are we heading towards right now? A recession. We have to have some honest conversations. And we need to stop getting the garbage ideologies in our way where it's like, oh, we're right, we're left, we're this, we're that. And have a conversation. And have a conversation that is honest. And have a conversation about, look, we have these problems in society. If you're someone who's a low-level drug dealer or drug person who's just like, you know, I just want a bit of drugs, you know. Hey, man, I just want a bit of crack. Just, just, just a bit of crack. And you're doing no harm to anyone else. You're not robbing people. It's just, you know, Friday night, you kick back and just, I don't know what he did. I didn't do this research because I don't care. But, you know, ever how you take crack? Do you inject it? Do you smoke it? You know, does it pill? I don't know. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. And it's your cool. Is, if you're not hurting anyone, should you belong in jail? I say no. Now, there's a different story when it comes to the drug dealers. Because drug dealers often bring a lot of other crime. Theft. Assault. Robbery. Even more serious things. Murder, if you get involved in their patch. How do you deal with them? We need to start having a conversation about how we deal with drugs. And not seeking what Donald Trump thinks. Not seeking what Joe Biden thinks. Not seeking what's left and right. And definitely not making this about, hey, we have this opportunity here. If we just do this, imagine how many people will vote for us. How about start doing things because it is morally, fundamentally right? How about that? How about setting that as a standard? And actually having these conversations. Because what you have is a situation where things are going to get really bad with the movement that's going on. I make no bones about hiding my biases when I show them. I try to do this show as unbiased. I'm not here to tell you left or right. I'm here to talk to you about principles. But I do show you some of my biases. I am pro-law enforcement. I salute them at the end of every show for a reason. Because I see the good that they can potentially do. Do I see the bad? Absolutely. And when I see the bad, I call it out. I say, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. But what I feel most sad about is that this movement going on by Antifa and all these other... Choose your words carefully. These other hooligan groups who are like burning cities to the ground. What do you think is going to happen to those communities? What's going to happen to those communities as their businesses get torn down? They're going to go out of business. It's hard enough for a business to operate in COVID world, let alone if your business has been burnt down. Do you have the energy to build it back up? But do you, even if you're in a certain area for a period of time, do you really want to build that area back up? If you're a business, if you're, re, if you're going, hey, I have the money, I'm going to rebuild my business. Are you going to stay there? Or are you going to go elsewhere? Most people are going to go elsewhere. What's going to happen to that society? What's going to happen to that community? Jobs then leave. Then it becomes even more impoverished. Then what happens? Crime goes up even more. And what? why am I pro-law enforcement? Because they generally, not always, but generally will do the best they can to help the poorest and among us. They're not there to give a handout. They're there to protect your rights. And what you see in these little poor areas is crime is rampant. And the individuals who live there, the good, honest, noble individuals who live there, whether it's individuals or families, are held at hostage, not by the police, 
Not by the police. They're, they're, oh, they're, they're, they're the bad people. No, but by the bad people in their area. And they know that when bad things happen, if, even if they see it, it's amazing how they get amnesia. Or they hide. No one saw anything. It's amazing. This crime happened. Guess what? Would you report it? The idea that anyone thinks that the answer to all the problems that you're facing right now is, do you know what we need to do? We need less cops. You need to just, you know, disband the police force. We need to defund the police. Are you crazy? These ideas need to be challenged. Not by left or right, but by everyone. And start going, do you really care about the poor? Do you really care about serving people? Because if you care for the poor, the answer isn't disband the police. If you care about black people, the answer isn't disband the police. There may be more education we can do. There may be more training. We can all talk about those and base each individual item on its merits. Not social justice training. Not, oh, you know, you're, you're black, you're white. If you go to a lot of these areas, there's a lot of black cops there. Are you going to tell a black cop how racist he is? Are you serious? Think about the ideas that you're putting forward. But we need to have these discussions. And actually start looking at ourselves and going, how can we solve these issues? Is more drugs on the street a good idea or a bad idea? But we fundamentally first need to get to a point where we recognize together, left or right, top or bottom, that a lot of the problems that you see right now are the result of government. What you see in the black community is a result of government. Both left and right. And this is why I define and appreciate America so much as your founders. Because so many people ask the wrong question when it comes to government. They ask the question of, well, who do you want government to be run by? Do you want it to be Joe Biden or Donald Trump? Do you want it to be the Democrats or the Republicans? America was the one country at your founding that said, it doesn't matter who runs it. The question, that isn't the question. The question is, does it have a right to be there? And in many cases, your founders said, no, it doesn't. That is the question we need to start asking ourselves. Does government have a role? That's the first question. Not, is it Donald Trump? Not, is it Republicans or Democrats or Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or the Libertarian candidate? The first question we need to start asking ourselves is, does government have a role? If the answer then is yes, then we can decide who runs it and who is best placed to run it. But this idea of just ignoring the first question, kind of going, who's best run it? It just accepts the status quo that government has a role. And in a lot of these places, it doesn't. countries and I want to change total topics with you but the, the focus of government being the problem is still the same I want to take you to a place closer to home for me Ireland Ireland had an interesting election earlier this year without going through the details it was it was scary for one reason because of who potentially could have got in and the ramifications of that but it, it's equally scary now but for exact opposite reasons because one of the, there's three parties in government right now. And one of the parties is the Green Party. And the Green Party in Ireland is like the Green Party in England, is like the Green Party in America, is like the Green Party in China. 
It isn't really a Green Party. It's a Communist Party dressed up in a in a noble, humble, decent, don't you want to save the planet type of agenda. It's a load of garbage. And the leader of the Green Party in Ireland has a very senior cabinet position. And because of politics, when you have a parliamentary system where you have one party or two parties who have the vast majority of the votes, but they just need that little small party, in this case the Green Party, to get over the edge, to get to, you know, make sure they have a mandate for government. They always get a, a disproportionate amount of power. Because they know at any moment, even though we only have like 4 or 5% of the vote and a couple of TDs, people in Parliament, that if we pull it, the government dissolves. It gives them that uh, benefit. What annoys me the most about this is parties like this always give out about the capitalist system, but yet really love reaping the rewards of what you would call capitalist ideals. In this case, the law of supply and demand. This is hardly a socialist concept. But their minister over here, the leader of the Green Party, has an ambitious plan. And this plan could come to Ireland, could will come to Ireland, sadly, because it's going to go into law. But it's going to come to Europe, it's going to come to England, and rest assured, it will come to America. And if you read the language, and these are, I'm going to read you some quotes. This is why... I appreciate the idea of America so much and why I do my best to try and inspire all people of all sides, whether you love Trump or hate Trump, to wake up and kind of go, your founders are something special. It's why I'm going over there in January and spending 10K of my own money that I don't have much of to remind you of your system of government. Because if you have a constitution republic, what I'm about to read doesn't happen. If you have a founding view of America, this can't happen. And what they've launched is this plan for a, a greener society. Now, one of the things you have to remember about government, I said it earlier on in the show, is government is all about fulfilling needs. If he thinks it can use you and say, oh, here, I'm going to look after you, I'm going to look after you, I'm going to be nice to you, I'm going to be nice to you, I'm going to give you all these rights, I'm going to be on your side, I'm going to be your champion. Always know that at any moment, just like that, that government can just totally get rid of you. Not because it doesn't like you anymore, but because you've you've fulfilled your usefulness. It's time to move on to the next person we're going to be the champion of. You can't always be the champion of the same people. And one of the things that annoys me, and the reason I want to talk to you about this is, because this is going to create poverty at unseen levels, to create a greener society. But I would ask you to listen to the language of these quotes. We all know... I always love when politicians go, we all know, we all know. No, we don't. Trust me. I'm usually the person that's sitting there going, I didn't know that. Trust me. I didn't even think that was a problem. But politicians, we all know. We all know. It's for the children. It's for the children. Yeah, right. We all know that our current model of production and consumption isn't unsustainable. Unsustainable because of the resources we use. Unsustainable because of the waste disposal of costs, which leads to climate change and the loss of biodiversity. What we need to do, again, I always love when politicians go, what we need to do. What we need to do is do as you say, isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. Heil. 
Oh, sorry. That's the that's the right wingers. The fascists on the left are, you know, I don't know what do they have. C. What we need to do is rethink our relationship with stuff. How we produce it, how we use it, and how we dispose of it. One of the things we need to do by 2030 is to prevent sales of multi-packs to prevent what they describe as overbuying in supermarkets. They want to get rid of buy one, get one free deals and large bags of, let's say, 20 pieces of fruit that are at cost price. Under this plan that they've unveiled, because it's all about fair, greener society, they've implemented new rules on what they call fast fashion. And what they want to do is target garments sold by what they call large retail chains. Because they did this survey, they did this study, they did their research. You see, the Greens are the real, the new red movement, but they're not ignorant. They will base it in what they find. And you see, only a lefty, only a greenie, only a communist could have a problem with this. They found that the average EU citizen is buying 57 new garments every year. Only a communist could look at that and kind of go, hmm, the average EU citizen buys 57 garments around every year. That's a problem. Only a communist can do that. Only a lefty who is absolutely stone crazy looking for power could look at that as a problem. Most people, if they said, you know what, when we're talking about poverty and all the people who are in poor poverty and can't do anything, the average person buys 57 garments a year. Is that not a telltale sign of how advanced we have become? That we have so much choice? It then looked at that survey and I quote, we are clearly obviously consuming much more than we need to and buying much more than we need to. What we really want to encourage here is for people to buy less frequently and buy quant- quality over quantity. This is the environmental minister for Ireland. This is the head of the Green Party. When you hear that type of language, that should send a shiver down your spine, even if you believe in global warming. Because you see, where I come from, the countries I know, Ireland, the country, the continent, and as much as I hate to say this and admit it, I am part of Europe, whether I want to be or not. I despise everything it stands for. But what you have is a movement that all says government There is no limits on it. That every problem that we can find, government has a role. There's never a need for, should government be involved? The answer is always yes. Should the government? Yes. You know the way the old way, the old conservative logic was, should the government? No. Well, in Europe, it's the exact opposite. Should the government? No. Yes. You don't need to, I don't need to hear what you need to say. Should the government? Yes. Absolutely. You see, what we have in society right now is, we have a lot of problems. We do have a lot of problems. But what you're starting to see is, and bear in mind, this article is about a week old. So you have businesses in Ireland, in Europe, and in America, and around the world, which are struggling. You have people out of work. You have businesses, depending on these regulations, about reopening. Pubs is a big one. Pubs, if you don't serve food in pubs in Ireland, you're still not open. All these pubs... What's going to happen to them? 
What's going to happen to all those businesses? What's going to happen to all those jobs that they employ? A lot of these pubs aren't going to reopen. What happens to the cities? You're going to start seeing major poverty. Ireland officially declared itself in a recession this month. I think it was last week they declared that. We're now officially in a recession. And you won't want to unleash these plans? If you start telling people what they can and can't buy, what do you think is that going to, what that is going to do to the job market? What do you think about all these people who are going to be reliant on jobs? Because you see, all these millionaires and billionaires, you see, I love all these planners, these grandiose people, going, oh, we have this plan, we need to do X, Y, and Z. Here's the truth about things. Everything that you do to business will always affect the poorest in society. Because here's the thing, you have millionaires and billionaires, they're going to make money no matter what. If you decided tomorrow, the vast majority, let's say, just take an industry that has, you know, tech industry, has a lot of rich people involved, right? If you said tomorrow there's absolutely no technology, none, zero, those people have money. They will find another way to make money. That's what rich people do. They find money to, they find new ways. They will produce something else. Okay, we can't have technology. Well, I, what will we have? It may be a case of, you know, doing the job that the government says you got to create the greenest car that possible. Fine, then that's what they'll do. Or they have to get to Mars because this world is going to die in a hundred years or five years or ten years or whatever climate chaos crap we're talking about today. Whatever the number is, is a 500 days, five years, 50 years. I can't keep up with the propaganda coming from the people. But if the, if the idea is we have to get to Mars, then that's where they're going to find the jobs and they're going to create jobs there. But the people who they employ, especially the lowest in society where it comes to skills, where they don't have degrees, where they just have a lot of experience, they're at the lower levels, they're at the ground floor of this company. What happens to them? Do you care about them? Is there any consideration for them? All the people who pack shelves... In, in the supermarkets, whether they're college students or whether that's their full-time job. Do you have any understanding where if you start targeting these and start saying you can't buy as much, do you realize that there's going to be job losses? Do you care? Or is it all about just creating this utopian vision for yourself? No, I know the answer and I bet you can guess the answer too. The first thing we need to start doing is we need to start having honest conversations. But we need to ask ourselves, is there a role for government? Because let me be honest with you. Our future is yet to be written. I know that sounds all, wow, that's, did you find that in a court fortune cookie, John? <laughs> Maybe I did. Our future can be either one of two things. Right now, we are on a path to tyranny. Right now, we are on a path to government. We just want government run by our side. We just want government run by people we like, that we trust, that we vote for, that we feel have some common interest in us. And that's fine, that's dandy, that will get you so far. You just better hope you never lose an election. And if you read through history, whether it's Irish history, English history, American history, world history, even Chinese history, in some senses, I use that one loosely, people generally will lose an election. Now, they might give up power, but they do lose elections. There is chain transfers of power throughout the years. So building your thing of, well, we just need to vote a certain way and make sure we win all the time, isn't exactly sound strategy. Not based on my opinion, based on history, on facts, on results. We need to start asking ourselves and looking at society kind of going, does government have a role there? And if it does, what is it?
But what you'll find is, a lot of the times, it doesn't have a role. I don't know about you, but I don't want any politician, left or right, top or bottom, liberal or conservative, because they can all use these labels. Oh, I'm a conservative. Oh, I'm a conservative. I, I rule conservatively. Yeah, really? Hello, Mr. Boris Johnson. Hi. Just in case people think I was talking about someone else, read what he's doing right now. You can't have more than six people in meeting at any one time or you will go to jail. Yeah, that's conservatism, isn't it? Wow, wow, how great are you? But what we have is a system where I don't want a government saying, hey, what you have to buy. Here, what we need to do is change the way you think. I don't want a government saying we need to mold you to see things the way we see it, where we consume less. If you want to consume less, fine, go for it. I'm not the, I'm not Mr. Consumerism. I wear the same 20 pieces of clothing every day or over every week. I, I don't, my dress sense is very dull and dapper. It's not, I'm not cool. I'm not hip. I'm not like, hey, a different shirt every day and different things. I, I wear the same stuff. But if you want to be the person who buys 100 garments, go for it. You want to be like me and buy 10? Go for it. But I don't want a government telling you what way you have to be. Either you have to buy more or buy less. Because where does government get that power? Where does government get that right? Where does government get that responsibility? Because going back to the future, I see the world going one of two ways. Either we continue on this path where we just keep accepting that government can tell us what to do. Oh, we have to do this. Okay, okay. I'll take my marching orders. I just don't want to rock the boat. I'll just do I'll just go along to get along. Or we have option two. Option two is where we can actually look at history and look at world history and look at American history. We can kind of go, you know what? America changed the world once and it can do it again. We need to start redefining man's relationship with man, man's relationship with government, and man's relationship with God. And that all starts by starts opening conversation lines. Because poverty is coming. How do you solve it? And I can tell you one thing where you don't solve it is these plans right here. Because these will make poverty worse. Hey, Wendy, thank you very much for tuning in today. Uh, so, uh, as you know, I'm doing a speaking tour in January, and I, I'm going to have to uh, practice my uh, French accent, because this, this might make you laugh, or it may not make you laugh, or I found it funny, but there's a good, better than average chance one of the speeches and presentations I'm going to be giving is in uh, Paris. Oh, 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 oh. No, 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 not this Paris in France. No, 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 no. The Paris in uh, Texas. Which is, you know, the one thing I always find funny, just just on a side note, right? I get, I get told all the time, oh, America, you're so racist. Oh, America in the South, you're just so, so, so bad. One of my speeches is potentially in Paris. <laughs> Another one of my speeches, which is, this one's actually confirmed, is in Palestine, Texas. So for a country that really hates other people, you know, you really do embrace and, and cover other places. And by the way, there's one place I will never give a speech. I'm sorry to the people if you live here and listen, but Dublin, Texas, sorry. Never, so, no, I'm busy. I'm, wa I'm washing my hair that day. Um, but yeah, so I'll keep you updated on the stuff. But I, I, I have to practice my French accent for, for Paris, uh, Texas. <laughs> 
I might, I'm tempted to go try and do a, a speech on American constitutionalism in Paris, Texas, and just in a French accent. They'd be like, I thought we were looking for an Irish guy. Yeah, that accent's fake. Um, also, I just wanted to give a shout out. I want to share a few quick stories with you. Um, but I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of people, um, to Jeff, to Jennifer, to Lyle. You guys donated at the GoFundMe that I've done up for the speaking tour. I can't tell you how thankful I am and to all you guys who shared it. So, um, I know a couple of people have messaged me saying that they can't afford it to donate right now. I, if you have money, please consider donating. It's, it's to help me fund this tour because I think American principles need to be shared. But if you haven't got money and you're struggling right now, please don't even consider donating to me. Keep your money, get your house on horse in order. This tour is going to happen some way or another, and it's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of good things coming from it. I want to finish up today's show by talking to you, sharing you about four or five quick stories with you, just to hit, you know, on a couple of points. One of the things that frustrates me, and I want to share a story from my gym, is we have to understand, and I say this as guys, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put on my, uh, my white privileged male straight, uh, white, I, every other hat, privileged hat I have on me. We need to understand the world history and the world that we live in. And there are certain benefits and certain biases that we enjoy because of history. Now that trend has been changed. There are people still with what I would call backward opinions who need to come up to the 21st century. But it's understanding that those exist. But then what's most important for me is how you overcome them. I want to share a story with you. So if you follow my social media, I've been sharing a lot of videos of me working out in the gym. It's not to say, hey, look at me, how awesome I am. It's to try and inspire people. You know, you can do it too. If I, if this guy can do what I'm doing, you can do it too. It's just you got to have the right motivation and mindset. But I've decided to become a powerlifter, and I'm entering my first competition in October. And last week, I was benching, and I was benching 100, about 264 pounds. And I had to do the ch- conversion from because we go by kilos. We, we're the we're the metric system. We we have Lincoln Shafee all sorted. Um, but one of the things I needed when I needed a spot, which is when someone stands over you with the bar, and if you can't get it off your chest, they go. Boom. Well, I asked a girl to do a spot. This girl is, if she's a hundred pounds, she's she's vastly overweight for for her size. She's not a hundred pounds soaking wet. She's a lovely girl. She's awesome. And I shared this with someone, and this is an older gentleman, and kind of went, you asked a girl who was like less than 100 pounds to spot you on a 264-pound lift? And they went, yeah. And I went, what's wrong with that? And they went, she's a girl. She wouldn't be able to lift it off you. Now, I put this person straight. I went, she actually did lift it off me because on my third rep, I couldn't get it up. Um, She had to help me, you know, get it off my chest because otherwise I wouldn't have got it. And he was shocked. One of the things I've realized is that we do have a certain thing that women can't do certain things instill in our culture. The question isn't whether you want to demean people. I know a lot of people are going to go, what are you going on social justice? No. There are certain biases in society. There are certain trends that you still have to overcome. I'm really lucky in, in some people's eyes. I'm in a gym with nine people competing in a competition in October. Three are men and six are girls. That's good odds if you're if you're looking to find a you know girlfriend. I'm not not with them because they're all like 18, 19, and just no. But one of the things you do is how you overcome it. They don't cry about it. They just break it down. 
they actually take great pride in lifting more weights than a lot of the guys do in certain aspects. The average guy. They don't look, moan about it. They don't go, oh, poor me. They don't roll up in a ball. But they're beasts. They're awesome. And they're really strong. That is how you overcome it. The idea of you can, if someone tells you you can't do something or society saying you shouldn't do something, you have two choices. Either you can roll up in a ball and go, yeah, you know, you're right. You're right, I can't do it. Uh, oh, well, shucks. Well, I, may, I suppose but needn't bother trying. I may as well just, I don't know, move on to the next thing, huh? Go find a new hobby. Or you can go, you know what? Thanks for that. I guarantee you I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, and I'm going to prove you wrong. So I don't care what you're, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're gay, whether you're straight, whether you're male or female. If someone tells you you can't do something, go out there and do it. Don't care what the naysayers say. Ignore them. Because there's always someone to pull you down. And to those girls who I train with, they're awesome. And they deserve a lot of credit. But I want to talk to you just for the last couple of minutes about offense. Because I found in recent conversations with a few people that we are so offended by anything. But we always go to the worst opinion of people. And I want to share three little simple stories about how someone said to me I was I was been insulting. And I actually was, the, in my eyes, was being the opposite. And we had a conversation with the three people involved. And it sh- we had a conversation. And the minute we actually had a conversation privately, those biases, those, oh my God, I can't believe you said that, just went away. And maybe we can learn from these three little instances. Not because I was involved or I'm somehow awesome, but I think this is happening in culture so much. So the first one came about when I started sharing I was a, becoming a powerlifter. And someone said to me, oh my God, you know, congratulations, I'm really excited for you. You know, who knows, maybe one day I get to represent Ireland. And I just went, never going to happen. And they went, why? You know, it's not what you want. And I said, I have no interest in representing Ireland. If I ever represent one country, there'll only be one country I'll represent. It ain't Ireland. And I went, but why, why would you be so offensive to your own country? Do you know how insulting that is? And I kind of went, why is it insulting? Well, you, you turn it down to the rep- chance to represent the country you were born in, the country that you know you live in. You know, Do you not think that's disrespectful? I went, that's one way to look at it. If you want to be offended, I totally get how you could come to that conclusion. However, let me explain to you the, the actual truth so that you can see. If you take the country, forget that it's Ireland or England, doesn't matter the country. Would you want someone performing for your country who doesn't truly love your country? But not only that they truly don't love your country, that they idolize, in, another, in a sense, another country. Would you really want that person putting on your uniform, quote-unquote? No, I suppose I wouldn't. There you go. It's not because I have some hatred towards Ireland or some secret agenda against Ireland or some, I don't know, some misgivings or mis, you know, identities of Irish or whatever it is. It's I actually respect it. I think if people who represent Ireland should be Irish and should be proud to be Irish. It's just I ain't this. I may be, you know, legally Irish, but I ain't the most proud Irish person. I, I tend to look to another country for my inspiration. It ain't Ireland. So, and that is why I would only represent one country. It doesn't need mean I'm being offensive. It means I'm being respectful. Second thing, conversation with another person. There's been a few interesting situations in my life recently, and death has come up. 
And this person asked me a question, well, have you thought about, you know, you know, I always love when people do this, you know, you're starting to think about, oh, so-and-so's dying and, you know, that's sad. And, you know, you had, you had a health scare this year. Yeah, yeah. And then the conversation always turns to, have you thought about your debt? Actually, yes, I have thought about a lot, you know, knowing my history, but this person didn't. You know, and you're kind of going, well, have you, have you made plans? Yes, I actually have. My funeral is all sorted. Oh, how is this? And you're, you're, you're very young to have your funeral sorted. It's, why have you done that? And like, well, just, I've seen a lot of death and I, I want to make sure my wishes are respected. And they went, oh, have you got certain, have you got certain requirements? And I went, no, but I just, there's certain things that need to be done and certain things that don't. And they went, well, well what are they? And I went, well, I'm not going to a Catholic church. Um, for a start, I'm going straight to a crematorium and getting bur- burnt, and I won't bore you with the rest of the details because it's a bit morbid. And they went, "Oh, so you, you're not going to the church where you, you know, you were baptized, or the church where you know you had your communion or your confirmation, or, or the church that you attended for many years?" Nope. Oh, why? Why wouldn't you do that? What? 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 Do you have some ill feelings against them? Nope. I just don't think it's right that a. a non-Catholic gets a funeral in a Catholic church. I would say that whether you're a Baptist or a Protestant or a non-believer, whatever it is. I think, you know, a Catholic church should be used for Catholic funerals. Oh, well, what, have you got some issue? No. I've just been respectful to them. This idea that if we always constantly have this opinion where someone has an opinion that we find mm, a bit unsure about, we always go to the malice side. Again, that was me in my eyes. Again, you can you can believe my agenda or not, and you could read between the lines and think there's something there that isn't. But that was me being respectful, kind of going, I don't belong there. I don't. I'm not entitled to be there. I've always made this case for you know for for in, you're entitled to be married as someone who's a you know Christian, but not a a practicing Christian in in a, in a going to a church sense. How do I have a right to go to a church going, hey, marry me and my girl? I don't. I don't I'm not a member. I'm, I'm, I don't pay Jews. I don't pay tithing. I don't attend church on a Sunday or Saturday or whatever day you go. How do I have a right to tell you, you have to marry me? It's about respect. It's not about being offended. But people are so caught up in their own little issues that they automatically go, oh, there's malice there. Oh, there's something going on there. He, he has issues. He, he's angry. He's annoyed. He's, there's a bigger, there's more to the story. No, just not. A, it's just a case of I'm being respectful. Do we always have to assume malice? And the third one is an old school attitude. Because as much as we do have a problem where some people do need to come into the 21st century with, you know, certain aspects, you know, hey, women, female bodybuilders. But if you don't like them, that's cool. That's your thing. But there are certain ideas that we have to have a understanding that there are certain principles that it's okay to live by, even if you're considering them old fashioned. And I had another conversation with someone recently. And one of my old things, I'll, I'll let you know, I think I've shared this with you before. There's, I'm generally a pretty laid back guy. I tend to laugh at most stuff. and But there are certain things that people do that really piss me off. That will literally make me want to kill you. And I don't mean kill you and oh, I'm going to kill you. I mean actually kill you. Certain things will trigger me. I can get triggered very easy. Oh, I must be a leftist. Oh, I'm in disguise. One of them is hit women. I... Just have no time for it. If you're a guy and you hit a woman, just don't do it around me because it won't end well. Um, but I was having this conversation, and, and I always love people who like to try and play devil's advocate. I said this; we ha- it was a conversation. I can't remember how it got started, but I said I'd never hit a woman. 
And they went, and then they went to prove, they went, well, what about this situation? What about this situation? But w- what if, you know, because this person knew me, they went, they know also if you hit kids or you hit a dog, that also triggers me just as much. And well, what happens if a woman hits a child? You don't hit the woman. You might physically pick her up. You might physically, you know, remove her, but you don't hit her. Oh, well, what happens if, like, this woman was, like, kicking the crap out of a dog? Yeah, and you pick her up, you know. I'm, I'm lucky I'm big and I'm strong now that I can lift most people up. They, but this idea of not hitting women was archaic to them. They went, oh, that's such an old school attitude. Why? What is so bad about that? I get that we live in a world where everybody wants to be offended by every little thing. Oh, you have a difference of opinion to me. Oh, you're, you're old school. Oh, this is stuff. How about have understanding that there are certain things you should never do? And I don't care whether this makes me look like a sexist. If the worst thing you can say about me is, hey, John is a sexist. Why is John a sexist? Because he, he doesn't believe in empowerment of women. He believes men should be able to, or he believes men should never hit a woman. Well, do you know what? If that's your biggest problem with me, and that's the biggest problem with feminism to have with guys like me, then my God, how great of a world we live in. But how this understanding of why do we always have to think malice? Why do we always have to think, oh, you wouldn't hit a woman because you think they're inferior to you or that they couldn't beat you up? No, I've met women who could beat me up. I know one who actually lives in Ireland. She's actually, I won't, I, won't, I wouldn't say to her she'd beat me up because I'm not telling her that. But she was like six five and like 170, 80, 170, 180 pounds. She was a cop. And legit tough. Like, she was, like, kickboxing and all this type of stuff. And she used to jab me in the arm, and it used to hurt. She, like, she had a good punch. She'd probably kill me, because she is a cop. She knows how to handle herself. I'm not going to tell her that, but uh, I'm not going to hit her. Well, what happens if she gets you in a chokehold? You get out of the chokehold, and maybe you put a... I never said I wouldn't put a chokehold on a woman. I would never hit them. There's a fundamental difference. If you've got to fight or flight, and you've got to subdue someone... I'm not saying you should do it, but if, you know, in the worst case scenario, you could do it. Why do we always have to assume the malice? Why do we always have to go, oh, that's so bad. You're looking down on people or you think you're better than people. Maybe if you're raising kids today, whether you're anyone, don't hit anyone. But if you're a guy, especially don't hit a girl. Just not a cool thing. Good moral to live by. And for that moral, I think that's the way we should end today's show. Don't hit women. How about that been a universally good thing that women, the feminists, the modern day feminists, the fifth wave feminists, third wave feminists, first wave feminists, whatever we're on now, whatever 177th wave of feminism we're on right now, or transgenderism or whatever issue you want to call it. Just don't hate women. Just period. Good, good idea, bad idea. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Please consider sharing it. Please, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out. It helps the channel out. And we finish the show the way we do all the time, by saluting your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never, ever forget America is great. Not because of Trump. Not because of Biden. Not because of Congress. But because of each and every one of you. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Have a beautiful and blessed week. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.